Product Breakfast Club. 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 Oh, hey, Product. everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Product Breakfast Club. I am your host, Jake Knapp. I'm in San Francisco. Oh, and I'm your other host, Jonathan Courtney, and I'm in soaking Berlin. It's always wet. The last time I said we were, I think it was like two podcasts ago, was also soaking, and it's not even raining. And you're sick. Yeah, man. You are sick today. I think it's the sickest I've ever been on this podcast, if not the first time that I properly have like a flu sort of vibe going on. And it's just rare because, actually, let me ask you, when you worked at Google, were you sick more often than when you worked for yourself? Oh, mm, that's an interesting question. I have noticed that I have not gotten sick so much this year compared to other people in my family Mm. but i would say about the same i would say not a big difference i did notice a difference when you know my kids get sick especially when they're younger like my older son now he doesn't really he knows how to wash his hands and stuff he'll get sick and nobody else will get (laughs) sick but the little ones they bring those diseases into the house and then it's just yeah look out everybody (laughs) i think for me what i noticed is that freelancers or business owners are almost never sick because there's absolutely no benefit to being sick and you almost always have to do the stuff anyway even if you're sick so I haven't like taken a a sick day, I think in, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but maybe I've never taken a sick day at AJ and Smart till yesterday and today. I realized that, yeah, it's just something that I used to do, not a lot, but if I had a little bit of a sniffle, I would have taken a sick day when I was working for, you know, one of the larger corporates, because of course, it's a good thing to do, obviously, to take the time off and recover. I feel like I just don't get sick as much as other people because my body's like, no, no, Jonathan, you can't do it. And it was interesting because I was like really going hardcore all of this month because two key members of the AJ and Smart staff were away for the full month on vacation. And so slackers. the second- What slackers? Yeah, yeah. The second they came back, it was like, hey, how's it going? And then flew because my body was like, okay, now you can do it. Yeah, now you, there's now something you can to actually that. let go. There's something to that, I think. The idea that you're just, your body's like, I can't do it now. You got to keep yeah. everything going. And yeah, I think there's literally a biological function behind it, apparently, which is related to like the amount of adrenaline and cortisol in your system that affects your immune system. It's also why people often get sick the first day of their vacation. It's because their body's like, all right, now let me just do my work, please. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's not like you don't have the disease already. Like you probably get these colds, but your immune system is not allowing it or your body's not allowing your immune system to go into overdrive and attack it because the sick feelings you feel, like the feelings I feel right now, like blocked nose, sore throat, like sweating and all that craziness, that's my immune system like attacking the disease. It's not the disease itself. So this is what this podcast is about. Yeah, this is a podcast about science. Science. So there you go, the immune system. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the top rated product and product design podcast in the world. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Probably. Who knows? knows? Yeah. I have no idea. Welcome, everybody. That's what this podcast is about. Actually, what is it about today? Do we have a topic today? We've had all these uh, interviews lately and different versions of the, this is the first normal episode in a while. Yeah. I thought my topic for today is just that you and I catch up and talk about life. Okay. Okay, cool. That was it. I'm down for that. People like those ones. I'm down for that. Oh, 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 oh shit. Jake, yeah. Jake, Jake, Jake. Yeah. I think because we've been talking about this over Messenger and I've been talking about it on Instagram, I don't think we it actually made it into the podcast yet, but we are now officially over 10,000 listeners. What? And you owe me thirty dollars, dude. What? Are you curious about what the top episodes are of all? I want to hear all the stats because I don't believe this. Number one episode of the Product Breakfast Club with ten thousand three hundred and seventy nine downloads is episode sixty, which is only nine episodes ago, which is a really good sign. It means that the more recent episodes are more popular, and it's not just a pile up of old ones. By the way, I'm also surprised about this one, and it's Life Lessons Learned two thousand and eighteen. So that one is our most popular episode, which also means that the the name of it was the most clicked on and listened to name. <laughs> Life lessons doesn't mean learned. it's the best episode. That means that's what yeah. people are coming for when they come to this podcast. They want life lessons. So we should today we should try to reward them yeah. with some life yeah, yeah. lessons. 
So how many downloads did you say that is? 10,379. 10, so just kind of barely broke the ribbon there. Ah, well, I feel yeah. like Jason should but, play some dramatic music <laughs> about... The... Yeah, baby. But Jake, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm never satisfied. Okay. I just realized that the only way that I'm going to keep doing this podcast is if we get to 20,000 downloads by June 1st. Uh, this, I need your help, everybody. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> well, did I get my money back? I need back? your help. No, no. No? Let's raise it to $60. $60? Okay. If we get us to 20,000 downloads by the 1st of June. Dude, that uh, is safe yeah. money in the bank for me. There's no way we're going to double yeah. it in... Man, I'm going to have some liquid cash by June 1st because of this. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Oh, I have to say congratulations, sir, because oh, I did not... Congratulations I to did us. did not believe you're going to get it to 10,000 by the end of the year. And you did. Well, actually, when did that episode come out? It came out on the 24th of December. No! Just so in Michigan. Oh, Dalgy. Damn. <laughs> I even extended it and yeah. you didn't even need it. I didn't need it. That is impressive. So congratulations, sir. Here's the cool thing. Probably within the next three to four weeks, we're going to have 10 episodes over 10,000 downloads. Wow. I can't help when I hear statistics. Okay. Like, I mean, granted, I'm not going to argue that you broke what we always talked about being downloads. So it's like, we got to downloads. Yeah. yeah. But downloads does not equal listeners necessarily. No. So this is like where no. the the sort of skeptical product person, like this is not, like not every podcast that's downloaded on my phone gets listened to. Yeah. That's for sure. Although they pause after a while. They do pause. How long do you think they yeah. wait till they pause? Most podcasts have, have like a default of like five episodes or something. But you're right. The download thing is, I mean, I knew that we were counting something that's not the ideal thing to count. It's kind of the only thing you can count. This is an interesting thing about like Anchor, to go back to a couple episodes ago, talking about Anchor, like, it'd be so nice to have those stats of like, what happens, like, how many listeners do we have on each episode? We don't really know. We do have some stats that might be interesting. For example, well, one thing is that, so I'm using Simplecast, and they at least said that at the start of January, they switched to a new, more accurate tracking system, which is like a more global, all podcast systems are going to be using this so it doesn't duplicate downloads. And we actually had a pretty significant crash in downloads when that came out. Okay, And you can see like a big downward, like zigzag for this, all the downloads of January. But overall, we're still increasing. We actually, so October was still our best month ever. October 2018, but I guess that March will overtake it, even though October's numbers were a little bit inflated. So once it all levels out, and I think there's going to be better tools, even if it's like as bad as half, and I've been reading some articles that say some people will lose up to 20% of those downloads, and that will be translated into what the actual listener numbers are. You know, we still would have around 5,000 people listening in every single week. So that's still a lot of people listening to this bullshit. Yeah, God, it's I'm so sorry, people of the world. I'm looking at October to try to figure out why it was so good. The only thing I can guess is Mona Patel. Yeah, so in the top 10 episodes, we have two that were in October. So we had Mona Patel, which is the fourth most downloaded podcast. What the, f how did I name that one on starting and growing a multi, okay. And then we had Scott Belsky that was super popular as well. So both of those came out in the same month and they like exploded the downloads. So that's the reason basically. Okay. But okay. that's also why those numbers were inflated because our podcast isn't an interview podcast. Yeah. So I don't feel bad about that being a huge spike and then we kind of crashed down to normal again. But January was really bad. January was so bad that it brought us down to September levels, which is embarrassing. <laughs> is that because the podcast was bad or because of the refactoring of the Simplecast stats? Okay, it's first of all, I don't know. It's not about the podcast being bad. Number one... Because it's we, always bad. It's always bad. <laughs> exactly. So it's always bad. The first thing is that we had one less episode than usual. So that's a big chunk. Oh, yeah. It's 10,000 less downloads than usual. But the other thing I think was related to the refactoring 
it was already starting to go down in December and, and it went down a lot in January. Then it shot back up in February. So I don't know, don't but know. you know, I'm looking at the all-time zoomed-out view. We're pretty much at half a million downloads in general, which is kind of cool. Wow. Yeah, that is cool. I mean, I guess there's a lot yeah. of episodes. So. And you want to know the biggest cities? Yeah, I tried to. You guys, must somebody must change the password because I can't log into Simplecast anymore. It's oh, really? Kit, I think. Yeah. Oh, I didn't change it. Uh, okay. But maybe I did if you ask me after. I'll tell you on air. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Biggest city is still Berlin. It's triple all the other cities. Oh, wow. Hello, Berlin. Hello, Hello, Berlin. Berlin. So we've got around 1,150, around exactly, around <laughs> 1,100 people listening in every week. Oh, wait, sorry. This is just for one episode. Or a thousand bots. Exactly, a thousand bots. It. <laughs> exactly. My office is just. <laughs> then we have uh, second biggest city is Amsterdam. Ah, I didn't actually know Amsterdam that. Amsterdam is number two. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm going to Amsterdam soon for the first time. So oh, maybe I'll meet all those it's people. It's really, really, really lovely. Next, we have. London, uh, Dublin. I thought that was London. Next, it's Dublin. Next it's Dublin. All right. I'm really sorry. I never did a call out to Dublin. I didn't realize so many <sighs> people listening. And then pretty much the exact same: New York, San Francisco. What's this? If you're in Dublin, Toronto. Send Jonathan a message and tell him on a scale of one to ten how Irish you think he sounds. Exactly. I'm curious what Irish people think. Okay, sorry, I missed number four through whatever. Pretty much New York. Ashburn, Virginia, what? Toronto, Ontario, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, and Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. Pretty much all have the same amount of downloads, like they're all the same size. Okay. But here's okay. the thing, right? That's city level, but country level, it's very different. Country level, the US is just dominating. 29% oh, of all downloads are from the US. So, like, even though Berlin has is triple the size of all the other cities, Germany is actually only third place in terms of downloads overall. So, it's US, UK, Germany, Australia, Canada, Netherlands, Brazil, Denmark, Sweden, Ireland, Norway, France. So, that's the top 10 wow. listener countries. Yeah. It's so nice to have so many people yeah. out there. So many yeah. bots in so many different countries. Yeah, lo <laughs> loads of people in Australia. Let's look at some... Japan. I remember when I used to look at the Japan map here, and we would just have like one download per week. And now we have in Tokyo, let's zoom in on Tokyo. I think on Tokyo, we might be up to like 50 downloads. I can't see what Jonathan is seeing right now. I wonder, could you? Oh, sorry. It'd be cool if you could like in the app, like zoom all the way in to like satellite view, you know, and then you like can. zoom in and you see the address and then you like zoom no, in you and see you the like, person. yeah, it's like street view. <laughs> and then it's like, you see the person with their headphones yeah. on. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we have. Oh, no, we don't. I thought we had one listener in North Korea. We don't. We have four listeners in Beijing. You thought we had a listener in North Korea. Yeah, because there was a dot, but I thought it was. <laughs> we have a couple of listeners in China, not a lot. We have a couple of listeners in Taiwan, actually quite a few in Hong Kong. We've got loads of listeners in Bangkok and loads in Singapore, a lot in Singapore, loads in Sri Lanka. It's interesting when you see it like this. We're just talking into an empty hole, right? <laughs> We're just like, we don't know who's listening to this or if anyone listens to us. And then we, we look at this and it's just so many people all over the world listening to this podcast. I think this is the year of the Product Breakfast Club podcast, Jake. I think you might be right. I think you might be yeah, right. Yeah, this is it. Can you hear my baby crying in the background? No, no more than usual. The sick days are not as fun anymore. Not as restful yeah. as, uh, <laughs> not as much Nintendo Switch and no. long open-ended naps as usual. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to life, okay? Okay, life. How's life, dude? Talk to me. Oh, yeah. Life is, it's been hard. It's been not hard in the way that like some people have like really hard stuff happen in their life. I'm not going to actually try to tell you that it's been genuinely traumatic in any way, but I have not been on the top of my game the last like couple months, I would say. There's a book that I really like called Stumbling on Happiness. This is not a very new book. It's been around for a while. Have you ever you, you read that or heard of it? I've not read it, but heard of it. Yeah, it's just basically like a book about the science of happiness. And the guy is a really good writer. Daniel Gilbert, I think, is the author. And he's, he's really funny. One of the things that I remember, and I, I think it's from that book. This is kind of a topic that I'm interested in. So I've read a few things on it, but I'm pretty sure it's from that book. Is He talks about this idea that when things go wrong for you, 
if you can ascribe them to like outside causes, basically if you can blame something else for your problems, you'll be happier rather than if you're like, it was my fault, you know, which is funny because if you take that sort of approach, you think about just having an interaction with another person. And like, if you do something that's like, like if you do something rude or like you do something like you want to apologize for, I think the proper thing to do is to like take responsibility and say like, oh, like my bad or like whatever, but totally counter to that. Apparently, like if you want to be happy in your life, if stuff goes wrong, you're better off saying like trying to identify what was the outside cause that did that? Like it wasn't me. It's not that I'm an idiot or a loser. It's that this thing was going on. So I've really tried to take that to heart in the many years since reading that book. And so I can give you a, a list of reasons why the last couple months I was a kind of an idiot. It's related to being sick and our whole family getting this like flu that sort of rotated around and adopting the puppy, which was a huge disruption and so on and so forth. A lot of different random things. But yeah, I feel like I haven't been sort of on my A game, I would say. How about you? You've been doing okay other than uh, this Dude, you can't. Sickness? No, we got to dig into this. We got to dig in. Okay. Yeah, because I think there's a couple of things you said there that a lot of people who love to misunderstand things <laughs> will misunderstand. <laughs> I know people who listen to this podcast who will be like, huh, did you hear that Jake said uh, you should just blame? Okay. Yeah. Let me just dig in. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. <laughs> so, first of all, I think that it's interesting that you said not necessarily blaming yourself for things is a great way to, you know, be a little bit happier. But I think that maybe... Maybe we should be more specific. Yeah, it's, you probably have to be a bit more specific because there's also the opposite approach where if you do blame yourself, then you have an element of control over the scenario and therefore you don't feel so helpless. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I'll dig into it a little bit more. So first of all, I should say this book, Stumbling on Happiness, which I think is what I'm referencing, came out in 2007. I probably read it around then. So we're talking about something I read like literally 12 years ago. And I'm just remembering as best I can. So I may have screwed it up. But the way I interpret it is this, like, okay, let's be concrete. I have this writing project I'm working on. I'm trying to write a science fiction book. It is going like, okay, but it's been tough. And when I'm working on a project, it's a, kind of an important thing for me to have a big project that I'm working on kind of at all times. My wife has pointed this out, like I start to get really like, kind of down and like cranky when I don't have something that I'm on. So like in between projects is a tough time for me. Mm. And so knowing that I've like had this plan to work on this book for a while, but it's kind of like one of the least satisfying projects that I've worked on in a while because I don't have any deadline for it. I don't really have a lot of like built up like skill in doing this thing necessarily. So it's like, it's very hard to feel like I am just crushing it, you know, at this thing. Like it's very hard to feel like I'm just smashing down and walls and making progress in the way that I like. That's the feeling I kind of like. The design sprint is like this encapsulation of like what I like, which is like, we've got a clear project. Maybe the odds are against us. Maybe it's going to be super hard, but like, let's go. We're doing it. You know, I love that feeling. By sprint. By sprint. I want to create that feeling out of this book. It's really hard. It's like really, really hard. And in this space of like, I knew that like from basically November-ish to February-ish, I was not going to take on like you know, workshops or sprint projects or speaking things. I did like a couple things, but mostly I was going to focus on writing the book. And I thought, you know, in the abstract, that sounds perfect. Like what a wonderful thing to be able to spend all that time focused on it. Well, I have made a lot of progress on the draft, I probably have like... 75,000 words out of what should probably be 100,000. So it's good. You know, I've made a lot of progress. I'll give myself a 0.7 on that OKR. But I have felt a lot of the time like I was just stalled or my head wasn't really deeply in the, in the writing and it wasn't going like great. You know, I was just like, it's a lot of frustration, a lot of frustration feelings there. So I'm working on this project and I get frustrated. And this is something that's happened to me, not just with writing, but it's happened to me doing design work at companies or like there's all kinds of times when you might feel like this in life. So I have some choice, some agency about how I interpret those feelings and what I do with them. Okay. So like one option and actually the one that sort of my depressive part of my mind wants to jump to is Jake, you suck. Like A, like you suck at writing. B, like you suck at just like things in general. Like you should rethink your life choices. Like you're kind of just generally a loser. Like there's a there's a voice, right? That's like it wants to take the failure to have this beautifully finished like draft of the book that I'm super excited about already done and just a generally good feeling about that project. It wants to take the lack of that and say, 
I'm a loser. To some extent, I can choose like how much I'm going to listen to that voice. The other thing I can do is kind of say like, okay, wait, like maybe I'm not a loser. Like maybe if I'm struggling with this thing and if I haven't had the output or the focus that I hoped I would have, that I imagined I would have, and that I'm kind of measuring myself against, then maybe I can look at what are the outside influences that may have tripped me up? So, okay, what was going on? Well, in November, we had house guests for a month and I had just been doing tons of travel and workshops in October, kind of trying to like save up money so I could have this focus time. And, you know, I was super tired and we had house guests. It's really hard to like write when they're like, you're kind of hosting people. A one month house one guest. Month, yes, one I month. I hope they don't listen to this podcast because those motherfuckers need well, to get out. <laughs> they were all different people. <laughs> and they were all people like who I was really happy to have. Like we were, they course, were great to have, course. right? But just as it happened, it was just one set of guests would leave, like another guest would show up. And like sometimes- I'd go crazy. Oh God. It was really rough like towards the end because it's like, it was new people coming in and I'm like, these are friends or these are like my family. Like, you know, it's like my mom at one point who probably listens to this. But I love to see my mom, you know? And at the same time, it's like at a certain point, like, you know, the context is I have been having guests for like a month. So it's really like if you sense that I'm turning into like the shining here, it's because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I can look at November and be like, okay, I screwed up. Like I shouldn't have said yes to all those things on the same month I was trying to start this new project at home, working at home. Like that was probably dumb. But if I blame the decision to have guests, or if I just acknowledge that like, okay, like maybe it's not me being inherently a loser, but maybe that temporary factor was a cause of trouble, you know? And then I look at December and I'm like, oh, actually I got into a good groove in December. I was doing pretty good. I feel good about the work in December. And then I'm like, oh, but January, what happened in January? Well, January, the beginning of the month, we adopted a puppy. So that was kind of intense. And then also all through the month, one person or another in my family, including me for one week, was sick for one week at a time, just rotating through the family. So the house was just like, it was craziness here, you know, and that continued on into February. So it's only been within the last couple of weeks that things have just started to like kind of normalize the puppies a little bit less work now than he was. The sickness has started to taper off, which is great. Basically, what I'm saying is if I look back at all that stuff, there are these things I can blame as like a temporary thing that happened. And you got to be careful, of course. And I think this is what you're suggesting. Like, you got to be careful. You don't just blame all your troubles on like other people or other events and you never take responsibility. But if I say like, I still have hope for this project because I can change some of those things. Like I can get to the point where I'm not sick. No, you know, maybe people in my family are sick. I don't have a new puppy or like whatever then it's not just about me. Like, it's not just me saying, like, I screwed up. And apparently, if you can predictably, like, identify, like, when something goes wrong, when you have a bad day, if you can say, well, that was a temporary thing because of this, it's going to pass, but I'm, like, a generally happy person, like, you will be happier. And I think it's true. I'm reading a book right now called The Happiness Hypothesis. And it's, I guess, you know, all these happiness books come to the same conclusions. But there is like a baseline happiness level that every person has that's kind of genetically encoded, regardless of the situations that are going on around them. Yeah, I was just talking about this with a friend of mine yesterday about how it's like, um, I've heard the, the analogy of it being like a thermostat. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You have a set point and it doesn't really matter what you do. The crazy thing is it doesn't even matter, you know, someone dies or someone gets really sick, you know, the thermostat will change in the short term but in the long term, it will reset. And I 100% believe that that's also why people who are you know, unsatisfied when they're not making lots of money will also be unsatisfied when they're making lots of money, which is kind of what often happens is that people think material things or think that like success will make them happier. But really, it's just going to go back to their set point. There are certain things that can move your set point. Obviously, being poverty stricken means that even if your set point is higher, it will be lower until you get to kind of almost like a comfortable zone. But there are like a lot of studies that say that people generally, even twins, this is an interesting thing, like there have been lots of studies of twins and orphans who've been either adopted by different families, well, in the twins case, adopted by different families, and kind of never heard of each other, didn't even know they were twins, and then kind of meet when they're 20. Doesn't really matter what life situations they had, doesn't really matter what nurture they had, they generally have a similar personality types. And, and that's something where 
you can, of course, teach your kids a lot of things, but you can't really change that set point, even if you really, really want to. Which is crazy. That's a yeah. crazy thought, because as a parent, I mean, you know this, like you're experiencing this right now. You're like, oh, my God, I don't want to mess this up. But also, yeah. like, I want to give my kid like the best chance to be happy. That's what more could you possibly want for your kid yeah. than to just fundamentally be happy. That's at the root of all the things we're doing basically all the time is trying to do right and make ourselves happy. Yeah. And yeah, like to know that, like, maybe none of that stuff to a certain extent. Maybe it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's a crazy thought. It's a crazy thought. Well, it apparently it doesn't. Apparently it doesn't matter as much as everyone thinks it matters. You, of course, influence your children. You know, they're going to sound like you. They're going to have similar potentially attitudes to you. But the personality is apparently heavily determined by genes. And it's been proven in billions, trillions of studies. Uh, yeah, trillions. <laughs> so back to your situation, because I think it's an interesting one, because I know I feel like we can get to like a universal truth here. So the circumstances sound unique, you know, the how the series of circumstances definitely are things that can lead to negative situations happening. But do you have long term mood swings? Do you have times in the year or weeks or months where you're more excited and weeks and months where you're less motivated in general? Yes, I do. I guess in general, I would say always the winter is hard for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that I would like throw into the mix when it's dark and rainy. Yeah. Even in San Francisco, it is. It rains kind of a lot here in those January, February months. Mm. It's tough. It's like a little bit tougher for me to be buoyant. Yeah. I think I would say my thermostat default temperature is probably pretty warm. Mm. Like I'm usually pretty happy. And I think I kind of generally drift back to being happy. But I do have those times when, and often it's because of not having a project that feels like it's really moving. That can be such a powerful yeah. thing for me. It's like, that can really be tough for me. And, yeah. and I have to kind of find that next thing. I also have, this is kind of, I mean, we're kind of getting like maybe overly personal. I don't know if people really care about this, but. I think people like this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I have in the past struggled with many, many, many years ago, having some depression. And for mm. me, like running, I run almost every day. And I don't run very long, like maybe 20, 25 minutes. The most would be 30, but it's just kind of a short kind of chill run. But it's really important for me to maintain mood. Yeah. That's a pretty powerful one. And sleep. And so like there's some things I've started to learn, like if these things get off a little bit, then it affects everything else. So I have to make that kind of continual investment. And I think of it not, lots of people think of exercise as like, oh, I'm doing it for my physical fitness or whatever, for my heart or whatever. But for me, it's just like, it's just an antidepressant. Like it's yeah. just, it will keep away the things and allow me to stay with that. It's weird for me to say at the same time that like, I think my natural mood is like pretty high and I think it is, mm. but there is this like, if things get messed up in the balance, then it'll drop for sure. So, which is, I think super normal and actually probably the sign that you're not a sociopath. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. I guess it is normal to have, it's funny because I think that I always think of other people as being like rational beings who don't experience this stuff. I just, sometimes the stuff that's going on in my head doesn't make any sense, like really. <laughs> and that's why it's good to have it in the podcast, by the right. way, because <laughs> out, out of the, you know, potentially 5,000 people who are listening, I think that 80% of them hear us and, you know, we're pretty eloquent and we know all these people and we're doing all this stuff with our lives, but they probably think we've got our shit together <laughs> all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, the, yeah, which the, we do. Product, <laughs> breakfast, product club, breakfast club. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs> the, which, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I have, and then I, I'll stop the sort of Jake on the couch monologue, but I, I find it interesting. I also have migraines, and I've started to get them a little bit more frequently, maybe the last decade of my life. And there is an interesting effect with migraines of a, actually, the migraine itself for me, rarely much of a headache. If you have migraines, you probably know that there are a host of different symptoms and things that can affect you related to the migraine, and people have different combinations of things. So luckily for me, the painful headache is like not a big thing. Sometimes there's like a mild, like relative to like intense migraines that are sort of debilitating for people pain-wise. The pain's not a big deal. There's like light and sound sensitivity and stuff like that. But actually the thing that is the most, causes me the most trouble is the prodrome and the postdrome. So if you think of like the migraine itself as the syndrome, 
the prodrome happens before and it can happen for even like days before like it can be a period of like a couple days or more and the postdrome is like a day or two or more after and so a really intense migraine might have a couple days when i am just like my thinking is sluggish my mood might be depressed. Mm. There's also a moment in time like after the migraine is over when I feel like elated and I'm just like super joyful, like super happy, like the happiest, the happiest. Because it's over. No, not because it's over. It's actually part of the thing. Oh. And I was like, why do I keep having these things? And like I started to put together that it was around the time I'd have a migraine. And then I, I looked it up and it's a thing. Like the pre-drum and the post-drum is like, part of what happens to your brain. So What's the migraine for you, by the way, just c- so that we kind of understand? Oh, yeah. So yeah, and the migraine, the thing about the migraine that's really crystal clear, it's like, oh, this is a migraine, is I have this visual aura when it starts. So I have like, it's kind of hard to describe if you haven't had it, but it's like this light pattern that is I see. And it's weird because I see it in both eyes. Like I could close one eye or close the other eye and it's still there. I could close both my eyes and it's there. And it's like this pattern, like a circular pattern of like kind of sparkling or shimmering light Mm. that will like kind of slowly move across my field of vision. If you're curious, if you look online, people have made images to show what this looks like for a person with a migraine. It's really weird. It's super weird thing. So that thing will happen. And then I'll either have a headache or not after that. And then I'll have like a lot of light and sound sensitivity. So I just But the headache part is not so bad. But that clearly demarcates like, okay, that's when the migraine happened. And a lot of times I can put together like, I was like really cranky and grumpy and like just struggled to do like whatever work I was doing for the last day or two. And like, that was why. Like that thing was like in the mail coming through. So anyway, all that to say, I guess it's like, it's interesting to see that stuff because then you're like, man, there's so much that goes on with your brain. That is not like you making rational choices. It's just like to the chemistry or the physiology or whatever. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering because I think like for me, I would say my temperature is very high on the probably very, very positive scale. However, I definitely have kind of waves and they're extremely unpredictable by the way, people are going to be like psychoanalyzing us right now. <laughs> They're like, okay, you're manic depressed. No, I have like these waves and, and they can be triggered by different things like, you know, a day at the office, which I was super pissed about or something like that, or like where I'll be just super, super motivated, maybe even for a month straight. And that's where like 80% of the success of AJ and Smart will come from in that year or in terms of new products or in terms of new ideas. And then I'll have these times where I'm just like, ugh, you know, like, why do I bother you know yeah and i think that what people don't realize and when i talk to other people they're like yeah i'm also like that as well it doesn't matter if you're working on something that's successful or something that's like not successful it doesn't really matter you have those feelings no matter what and so for me in 2018 i went through a lot of these kind of why the fuck do i even bother doing this moments and i think that even towards the end of the year, I was just like, you know, like I could easily just quit. Why don't I just quit and not have all this bullshit to deal with, not have 21 people to have to handle all of this kind of thing. And I'll have that moment and then I'll come back around and I'll be like, no, actually, this is great. But it could go on for like two full months straight where I'm in a sort of a funk. And often it's not external situations. Often It's something that deep, 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 deep down I know to be true, but I won't admit it. For example, one of the reasons I was irritated in 2018, and this is very, you know, saying this on the podcast is not great, but fuck it, it's a podcast (laughs) and only 10,000 people. Um, But honestly, one of the reasons I was irritated was I knew that I didn't have the right people in the company. And I felt like certain people were sort of taking over and had their own agenda and kind of molding AJ and Smart in a totally different way to the way I believe the company should be molded. And I felt like, oh man, I'm just kind of losing control of this. It's not fun anymore. And that kind of made me, even though I didn't know it, even though I couldn't put it into words, there was probably a six month period where I was just like, why do I do this? Why am I feeling so bad today? Why am I feeling so pissed? But underneath it, it was because I just had this feeling that I was building something that I no longer enjoyed building. And I'm wondering, like with you, with this book, I'm, I'm trying to come back to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering, is it just because it's something where you're like, oh, fuck, like this is something I've never done this before. I have no idea what it's like. I wonder, is it even for you more exciting and more interesting when you do have 
you know, a deadline or when it is about nonfiction rather than fiction? Is it making it seem like all these external things are happening and yeah. distracting you when maybe the core thing is actually the problem like it was for me with AJ and Smart? Well, oh man, I can already tell this is going to be a long episode because I don't think, I think <laughs> if you're not sick, I think we should just keep going and there's so much yeah, to talk about on this topic. I took some good aspirin. Okay, good. <laughs> some good My aspirin. My voice is starting <laughs> to go, so that might happen. In Berlin, is good aspirin, is that like MDMA or something? You know what I'm talking like... <laughs> about. <laughs> So, but literally, my voice is starting to go. So it might go, happen that okay. I start getting really hoarse. Stop at some being point. able to speak. Okay. Well, your health is of secondary concern to me talking exactly. about my personal feelings. And I'm sure every one of our listeners <laughs> will agree. <laughs> so, first of all, this whole thing of like trying to figure out what is the source of the feeling. Actually, I don't know when we're able to play the Liz Fosslane interview, but that was something we talked I talked about a lot, or she, I should say, she explained to me about how something that they sort of found to be true in, I don't know if it's actually, I can't remember if this one was from studying psychology research studies or actually from studying people at work, but basically like when you are feeling like strong emotions, which probably are like, if you care about it, if you're trying to figure out what's going on, it's probably negative. Usually we don't try to figure out too much what's going on. If you're feeling great, you're like, cool. But if, you know, if you're upset about stuff, then writing down, just writing like on your own, like what's going on, apparently it's a really powerful way to figure out what are the core things underneath that. And what Liz was talking about is if you're having feelings about work stuff and you write it out, then you can often get to the figure out like what the maybe below the emotion is the thing that you can actually talk to somebody about and change or like the thing that is like a structural item that can be altered in some way. Like what's the root cause basically. And sometimes those root causes can be dealt with. Not always, but sometimes. This thing you're describing with work, the frustration, you were saying like it's not an external cause, but I would say it is an external cause, just meaning it's external to you. Like there's something about the structure of what's going on at the office with your company that is causing this emotion. Right. But it's a deeper level. Like there are other things around me that were irritating me. So for example, my apartment was irritating me. My There was loads of things like moving apartment. I was using that as an excuse for why I was so pissed. And there was loads yeah. of other things. Maybe it's not the external thing, but it's like the thing that I can control is actually the problem, yeah. even if it's external. Right. But it's still external because it's not like you're an idiot. Right, like that's what I mean by external. Well, I am, but I know what right, you mean. Right, like in your in your case, <laughs> that is true. But like, but what I'm saying is like you, because you can, if you identify that it's that thing, and then you're like, presumably, if that thing changes, then your thermostat goes back to where it should normally be. Like it goes back to good. But I built the company, so that's the problem because I built the right, company. but that's okay. Even if you mess up, it doesn't mean that like you, as a core of your person, are like a mess up. Like just the company is screwed up like it's not that like jonathan inherently is screwed up right it's like oh there's a mistake there Mm. and like rectifying that mistake can change the company and you're still like separate from that thing in a way i know what you mean yeah i know what you mean and obviously it's very healthy to be able to separate those things but often you don't even know we don't know that's like deeply affecting you so to get to answer your question about the book I don't even know if I can answer that because I haven't done what I'm talking about. I need to like write through and sort of figure it out. But I started to get like this renewed wave of enthusiasm about the book because I started having a bit of time to work on it. So one of the things that's most frustrating is just not having the time. And one thing that I can say for sure is writing the nonfiction books, writing Sprint and Make Time was easier because when you write a nonfiction book, you start off by writing a proposal for the book. So with Sprint. So my first time doing it, I found an agent and was sort of introduced to her and then said like, hey, here's my idea for a book. And I had made a prototype of the book and stuff, but like as it turns out, I didn't even really need to, although it was helpful for me. And then she was like, okay, so the first thing you're going to do is write a proposal. And she sent me a couple examples of proposals. And it's like the first sort of it's basically the introduction to a business book. And we may have discussed this on previous episodes of the Product Breakfast Club. But if you read a nonfiction book, like especially if you read a, a business book, the introduction is pretty much the proposal. So it's kind of the hook. And the best part. And the best part <laughs> because it's self-contained and it's the part that the author actually sells. So it's like, here's what the whole book is about. Here's the hook and try to make it as interesting as possible and try to really show off like a great story that I have or stories I'm going to tell. And then there's kind of an outline of the book in this book, like here's what's going to happen. And then the proposal also includes like kind of a business plan for how you're going to market the book, like 
what audience do you have? Like publishers are really interested in what audience you already have and how you're already going to be able to market it because they know they're not going to be able to do that for you, right? They'll try, but it's not necessarily something that they're great at. So the proposal becomes this thing, this concrete thing you can do that's not so huge. Like it's a doable thing. It might take a couple, three months, but like you can do it. And then that's what gets pitched to the publisher. So the agent goes, pitches those to the publishers, tries to sell the book. Publisher buys the book. Now I've got like an editor at the publisher and I've got my agent and they're both like, I've committed, I've signed a contract. I'm committed to getting stuff done by like certain dates, like getting the manuscript done. And when it gets done, like it's going to get published. Like now, like that project, it doesn't rely on me to create all of the motivation and create all of the affirmation that this is a worthwhile endeavor. It's official. It's my job. And that has a profound psychological effect on me, of course, as the writer. It also has an effect on like people around me, like my family. And like, I can say to anybody, like, I'm working on this book. I have to get it done by this time. And it's a legitimate thing. Whereas if you're writing like a fiction book, it's very speculative that it will even get published at all. Like, and there's no timeline for it to get done. Like, how do you decide on a given day that this is the thing that should take precedent over, I don't know, recording a podcast or writing a newsletter or working on a workshop or like doing emails for the stuff that actually like is the way that I make money. And the thing that people are asking for, the thing that people want, like, how do you decide? Like, and when you add those little decisions up, like day after day after day, time gets squeezed. And you can say like, yeah, now's a good time to adopt a puppy. You know, now's a good, now's yes. a good time to have house guests. Sure, because my schedule's flexible. So I'll just move around it. And you add all that up yep. pretty soon, like the project that was supposed to be at the center, it's not at the center. It's like squeezed to the outside. And in a way, like I've seen this happen to teams with the projects they're working on you know, the most important thing gets pushed aside for like trivialities that are a little bit easier to access, a little bit easier to get into. Reactive stuff is always more fun and easy to do. Yeah. And if you're in a big company, then the CEO or like somebody can say like, oh, there's a deadline for this. It has to get done here. And people just sort of like deadlines. That's how stuff happens. Like, yeah, you need that external thing. So for this book, a big challenge is not having that external thing. It's also writing in a genre where I don't have so much confidence that I can do it or that I, I don't really know exactly how to do it. I mean, I do kind of like you just do it, but it's hard to like maintain the confidence in it and maintain the focus. When that stuff falls away, gosh, you start to question it more. And then that's when kind of the mood tanking kind of comes in because mm-hmm. yeah. if I've told myself, if the story I told myself is this is my job right now and I'm not doing a good job at that job, that's not going to feel good. Yeah. And I think that's really, honestly, exactly the same problem that I would have. Like, if I was trying to write a fiction novel with no deadline, with nothing, I I would never get it done and I'd always feel bad about it. And that's kind of myself and Kyle from AJ and Smart. We were writing like a TV series. I was kind of doing a lot of film script writing in the early days of AJ and Smart. Also doing some animation stuff. Two years ago, I was working on some video game projects. And I'll just be honest, I never got any of them done and I always felt really bad about it because I didn't have to. No one was forcing me to. These sort of creative projects always made me feel so bad. Like as in, even though in hindsight, it's cool to look back on them and say, oh, that was cool actually. I'm glad I had the time to do that. But if I look back to the time, I didn't enjoy it. I was stressed that I wasn't really doing it. I didn't enjoy the time I took to do that creative work. And I think it's like the only reason... I'm running a 21-person company is because I won't do anything unless I have to. Like, I need a gun <laughs> to my head to get work done. That's also why the design sprint works so well for me. When we were in New York, I bought a domain name. Uh, by the way, if anyone wants to make a simple landing page for me, dude, the amount of people who make <laughs> Product Breakfast Club websites for us, you wouldn't even believe it. The amount I get per month, like people saying, here's a redesign of it. And I'm like, amazing. But it's such a hassle just to even take that over as a... Anyway, whatever. The point I'm trying to make is that I want to work on a small video game soon. I want to create one. I worked on a small video game two years ago. It was really fun. And I want to do that as something where I know it mightn't work out, but I really feel like I need to do it. As in there's something within me where I'm like, if I don't do this, I'm going to feel bad. Maybe that's how you feel about the fiction book as well. It's like, I need this to happen for myself. But I am so aware of how bad I would be if I just went off and did that as a side project by myself and how depressed it would make me. 
because I wouldn't get it done or I would maybe, but it would just take forever and I wouldn't enjoy the process. I'm basically just waiting until, I don't know, something happens that forces me to do it. I'm just like waiting around for that somehow. And maybe that's going to be me starting another company or investing into another person's indie game at the start. But yeah, my thought around it is the only way I function is if other people rely heavily on me also financially, then I'll work. Then I'll do great work. But I can't do work that's just about me doing something for my creative self. Even in school, when I used to do a lot of animated films, like I used to make cartoons that were like 10 minutes long, but took me six months. I made them for basically three people in my class that, you know, would watch them and enjoy them. But if I hadn't done that, I would never have made them. I I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it seems to me like you doing this book, it might, the kind of mood killers might go on longer unless you figure out a way to build something that's going to force you to do it. But do you think you can even find something like that? Or do you think it's really a problem? Or do you think you'll still keep filling your time with reactive work? Or you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that kind of what has to happen is that I sort of have to figure out where does this fit for me and what I'm doing? You know, I left my job at Google Ventures. I knew that I wanted to write more books and I wrote Make Time with John. I finished writing this fantasy adventure book that I've been working on for years and years and years. I have a plan still in my mind about how to like publish that online as like a serial, I think with illustrations. And I'm going to do that post drafting the science fiction book. And then I started the science fiction book and like I got into that. That's a project I've been interested in for a really long time. But I kind of have got reached this point where like the I need to figure out like what is the balance and is the writing something that makes the most sense to be a thing that I do on the side Mm. or like occasionally in bursts or is it the main thing? You know, it has been sort of like I sort of needed to say I was doing something and I was really excited about writing, but I kind of probably need to like figure out again, like what's going on. And I, the other thing that's been going on in the background for the last couple months, and maybe we'll save it for another show topic, but there's like kind of a little bit of a family project. And we just finally decided to like make that move after like doing two months of kind of intense research. And that's going to open up what feels for me like a quest during the time that we're doing this year long move. Like, what am I going to be doing? What's the focal point for me? And what's the thing I'm trying to accomplish? Which is something I've done previously in my life a couple of times. Like when I moved to Zurich, I was I just started working at Google and it was kind of like about getting some projects off the ground and going in the Google office there. Some Gmail project that became Priority Inbox and I ended up also getting the Google Hangouts project, which is sort of a 20% project kind of up and going. So there was like this feeling of like a quest and it was really satisfying to like go and do that. And then when I moved from Seattle to San Francisco, that was part of a quest of like getting the design sprint going because at that point it was super early days with that. And now I kind of got stuck in San Francisco for a few years and it's time to begin a new quest. And I kind of have like the start of an inkling about what it might be. And I think that the writing will play a role in it. But I need to stop having all of these transitional things going on at the same time. If I'm going to write the fiction book, like I need to give myself a little bit of slack and say, like, I will need to keep the flame alive on that creative idea. But then I also need to give myself some slack. So when there's space for it, I can say this is part of the quest or this is like a side hobby that I do while the main quest is this other thing. But I think I have to have a quest or that's contributes to the bummer feeling. Yeah. And that's like the maybe to close up because I'm going to have to go in a few minutes. I recently spoke to you about the book Man's Search for Meaning. And I think one of the things that you and I have in common is that both of us should probably be dead, you know, in terms of (laughs) human lifespan. I definitely would have had like simple diseases that would have killed me on the way up to being a 30 year old. And now, you know, we're just always looking for, and it sounds really depressing, but we kind of need something to do. And we need some, <laughs> we, we need something meaningful to do. And that's actually always difficult to find. And I think it is even for me, it's a difficult thing to know, like, am I doing the thing that actually, like, do I care about this? Is this giving me any meaning? Is this making me happy? And I think it's cool that you're looking at it in terms of, I like the way of thinking about it in terms of quests and and thinking about it in terms of, okay, now I'm stuck, I'm going to move to the next step. And that's exciting. It's also scary. But yeah, I think it's like a, you know, built in human thing to kind of get worried if you're not sure if you're kind of progressing, I guess, I guess that's the feeling. 
And like even for me, it's some stupid shit like, oh my God, like if AJ and Smart doesn't make more revenue this year than last year, I don't give a shit about the revenue personally, but it's like a feeling. It's like, oh, we didn't figure out as many good product ideas this year and we didn't, you know, improve the sales team or whatever. So for me, I think like this feeling of progress is this all important thing that, you know, we always need to be thinking about. And and it is something where we do need to cut ourselves a little bit of slack because it is also our bodies just making us feel bad for not doing stuff all the time because we really don't have to do anything important anymore. So, you know, maybe eventually you'll go volunteering in like a dangerous war zone or something because you won't be able to figure out anything else to find meaning from. And you and I will just be like, <laughs> I don't know, brain surgeons by the time we're both 50. Yeah. But I think that's the problem, right? It's like always this like, oh shit, like our lives are so comfortable. And I would, looking at the map of people who listen to this podcast, don't fucking say that, oh great, first world problem, whatever. You're also mostly in the <laughs> same position as us. And it is still a problem. It's still something we all feel. It's also an interesting like challenge for humanity because yeah. this is a drive that humans have to like make progress. Yeah. Like you're saying like sometimes it doesn't even make sense. You know, things might be going fine. We might be like, but there's this sense of like I have something that I'm into and I need to make progress on a way that satisfies that thing if yeah. at all possible. You know, if I'm past like kind of survival mode and a lot of us are even and you can be in a first world situation and still be in like kind of like of course, of you course. know, just trying to make enough money or whatever. But like, if you're in this mode where you're like, okay, we always kind of got to progress and we got to do something more. And like, if you just zoom out on humanity, it's like, we have this drive and it pushes us to do things that you wonder in the big picture if what the sum total of all of that drive is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like more, more, more. And it seems to be deeply ingrained in what it is to be human. Yeah. But it's potentially problematic at a large scale. I think one thing that like humanity has to do is like figure out how to harness that and like figure out as our technology gets more and more, as there's more and more of us on the planet, like how does that not just kind of grind everything into like the sort of Wally future where the the world is just covered with like (laughs) circuit boards and like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're all going to be writing uh, fantasy novels in about three years because of the AI taking over and giving us nothing to do, you know? Well, no, the AI is going to write the best fantasy uh, novels. (laughs) So should we stop it there? Yeah, let's finish up. Jake, where can uh, people find you or what do you want to plug? Besides buying Sprint, obviously everyone should buy Sprint. Oh, you can find me on the Product Breakfast Club podcast and you can uh, find me on jakenap.com. Great stuff. And you can find me at J Ice Cream on Instagram. I've been using it a little bit less recently and Instagram has been punishing me for my lack oh, of engagement. What does it do? I tr- So I used to get 1,600 views on my stories per day. And because I stopped posting as regularly, I'm down to 200 and now I'm back up to 700. And you know what, Jake? Fuck it. I'm just going to let it ride out because... I don't know. Maybe I'm going to get desperate and start posting every two minutes again. <laughs> do you feel, how do you feel? This is an interesting little experiment in a sample size of one. I feel less reactive less overall. Reactive. Okay. We'll talk about it maybe next we'll week. We'll talk about it next week. We'll okay. do like a make time update because it's kind of a make time vibe. Okay. The distraction free okay. iPhone chapter from that. Yeah. Rereading that kind of triggered it for me. And I think. Uh, okay. Next week's episode by make time. <laughs> and we'll explain why. Okay. All right. Let's sing it out. Product Breakfast Club. Product Breakfast Club. Product Breakfast Club. Get well soon, John. See you, everybody. Product Breakfast Club. <laughs>